This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. So, Hub Cities National Hockey League, maybe this week we will find out which two they will be. Pierre Lebrun of The Athletic saying it's Edmonton, Chicago, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, and Toronto in the final six. They are going to pick two. Who knows? Maybe they'll even be both in Canada. I, I would certainly think one will be in Canada. 780-496-0063 is the number to call or text. Of course, you could uh, reach out to me on Twitter as well, at Reed Wilkins. Um I never know, and again, I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter, and sometimes people will reply to me on Twitter or ask me a question, and I won't even see it. Sometimes people will tell me about it, and that's not always a great thing because a lot of times people have a comment or a genuine question. Obviously, sometimes they don't, but I I do sometimes miss stuff, but I did see something today. (laughs) I'm not even sure how to process this. A guy named Barry on Twitter tweeted me, he says, what's your prediction on the season, Reed? I ask you because I assume with glasses that thick, you can see the future. And a guy who knows all about the thickness of my lenses, because for home games, he sits kind of beside me. And if he ever turns to look at me, he could see the thickness of my glasses. And they are thick, Rob. It's Rob Brown on the line. Hey, buddy. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Well, I mean, I'm always equated thick glasses to smart people. I mean, all the smart people wear glasses. The thicker they are, the smarter you must be. <laughs> That's what I'm going with anyway. Yeah, thanks for the spin. My glasses get thicker. (laughs) Well, I I, I replied to this guy. I said, sorry, the glasses only help me see the other end of the room. (laughs) (laughs) I I know he was having fun with me, so I thought I'd I'd have a laugh laugh with him as well. But my, my eyesight is obviously terrible without my glasses. I can see fine with my glasses. I have had bifocals now for a little over a year. I'm 46, so I got bifocals when I was 45, which is probably a little earlier than most people get them, uh, but I needed them. Like my eyeball, Rob, if you were to look at it from the side of my head, like my eyeball is almost flat. Like it's so misshapen, and that's why my eyesight is so bad. Well, I remember I, at around age 40, I had 20, 20 perfect vision until age 40. I read my book in bed, and I'm like, oh, I must be tired. The words are getting blurry, and I noticed it kept getting earlier and earlier. And now I'm at the point I got progressives and I can't see anything without them, which is hard because when you're up in the press box, you've got three different lenses you're looking through. And to read something, I got to look low. To see the ice, I got to look high. So my neck's always at a joint because of the glasses. So bad eyesight has affected me now. But as I get older, it just seems to get worse and worse. Okay, so what uh, what percentage of hockey players do you think, or when you played, wore contact lenses? Um, not a few, not a lot. I mean, the, one of the funniest ones I heard with when I was playing Claude Lemieux, everybody hated, including most of the guys on his own team. We played against him in exhibition season, and he forgot his contacts. And he sent the trainer over to Mario and asked if Mario had an extra set of contacts 
that Claude could use during the game. And Mario said no for a lot of reasons, but he goes, yeah, it's not happening. And I don't know how that would even work if you're using someone else's contacts. I'm not sure uh, Claude thought that one through, but uh, I didn't know a whole lot. I mean, a lot of most of the guys I played with didn't didn't seem like I, there's a lot of guys with glasses. Um, I, t- I think I played one or two guys over my career or against them that were the the goggles glasses, the sports sports glasses when they played, but they died off pretty quickly. And I think it was all vanity. No one to be seen with those things on. Well, I, I still am shocked at the old pictures you see of Al Arbor playing with his actual glasses. <laughs> like, you know if you're wearing glasses, you got to be tough for a couple of reasons. A, or really tall. Guys are going to be mocking you. And B, you're protecting because those glasses are expensive. You ain't breaking them. So nobody's yeah, well, coming near you to break your glasses. Well, and in a sport like hockey, it's not just that you could get body checked and your glasses could fall off. I mean, just from how quickly you have to move and shift your body, the glasses could fly off your face. And it's just like, Oh, my goalie just stepped on him. Well, I guess I'm done for the night. The goalie owes you a new pair of glasses and you step on them, you buy them. Yeah, no, it is amazing. Some guys do play with them on, but uh, those, that guy had bad eyes. If you're playing with glasses on, you got bad eyes. <laughs> All right. A little bit of a, a diversion there into the world of eyewear and eyesight in the National Hockey it, I will say this, though. So it is funny. Sometimes, um, well, I mean, a, a guy, uh, you know, that we enjoy covering is Chris Russell. And if you see him outside of hockey, you wouldn't recognize him because he looks, with the way he wears his hair and the glasses he puts on, he looks totally different than he does when he's in a game. Well, that and the fact how slight he is. Right. The way he plays. I mean, he, I don't know what his weight is, but he, he looks like he's about 160 pounds. I mean, he's as tough as they come, but he is a slight guy that looks very reserved uh, when you see him away from the ice. Yet when he's playing, he's ferocious and not afraid to block anything. So he's one of those guys that he's got a quiet toughness about him. Now you don't want to mess around in a bar with because he doesn't, he'll just smile at you. And then at the end of the night, you're laying looking up, and I'm saying, oh, I guess he was a little tougher than I thought. Somebody just texted in the name Hanson Brothers. Well, that's <laughs> maybe maybe uh, we'll separate that a little bit, but that is a that is a fair comment. <laughs> well, they did. They wore glasses off here, so they've done lots of events with them. I mean, they, they had thick glasses there. Their eyes were bad. So, But then again, when no one really bothered them on the ice. I bet you I've been to... Well, one of the Hanson brothers, my first training camp ever in Pittsburgh, he was trying out for the Penguins. One of the guys from the movie was trying out for the Penguins. He was actually a really good hockey player. And then I've done probably 30 or 40 events over my career, post-career, and during my playing career with the, the Hanson brothers. Great bunch of guys. Lots of fun. They, they are, uh, what you see in the movie is what they're like off like They're fun to party with. <laughs> they didn't beat you up, though. No, I got on their good side. I got some really good pictures of them down on my wall in the basement uh, that we brought at a couple different events. Got a bit one of their jerseys hanging up in my in my uh, bar downstairs with their signatures on it. Really good bunch of guys. All right, Rob Brown joining us tonight. I got a text here from uh, from Dave, who's who's uh, chiming in, who says, "Read most of today's hockey experts." say Kevin Lowe should qualify for the Hockey Hall of Fame. Not even close. Lowe looked good because of the Oilers' other top players. These hockey experts forget when Lowe became the Oilers' GM, 
He thought he knew the winning formula and signed those three unproven draft picks to long-term contracts at $5 million a year. Oilers are still paying for his bad management. Remember, almost everyone said low must go. Until that happens, the Oilers may be in trouble for years. Okay, Dave, I'll respond to this first. First of all, um, if you're talking about uh, Hall, Nugent Hopkins, and Everly getting those contracts, I believe Tambellini was the GM for all three. And it was $6 million a year, not five. But Lowe was the president of hockey operations. I will say this, Dave. If Kevin Lowe is voted into the Hall of Fame or not voted into the Hall of Fame, his management career should have nothing to do with it. And Dave, maybe you disagree. Maybe if you say, well, if you didn't have a good career as a manager, you shouldn't be in. I I don't think so, Dave. And Rob, I'll bring you into this to do, you know, and, and fair point. There were a lot of great players on the order. So if, if you say, you know, Kevin Lowe wasn't even one of the top five players on his team, how can he be on the Hall of Fame? You can make that argument. But the management record, I mean, if Mario Lemieux, when he bought the Penguins, if the Penguins still would have gone bankrupt, you're not taking him out of the Hall of Fame, right? Well, so <laughs> go, go a step further. If you're going off what they do post-career, Wayne Gretzky was not a very good coach. He So if you're going off their manager or coaching careers post-hockey, well, all of a sudden, Gretzky's coaching career wasn't very good. It's strictly what you do on the ice. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. You go into the Hall of Fame in a, a different category if you're a coach or a GM. As for, you know, Kevin Lowe probably wasn't, or he wasn't in the top five best players on the team. But he was part of a team that's one of the greatest, if not greatest, that, uh, dynasties in the history of the National Hockey League. And if you go through the Hall of Fame, now and this is, again, I have no idea, but I'm guessing those Montreal Canadian teams that were winning, you know, four, five, six, whatever Stanley Cups in a row, there was more than four or five of those guys going into the Hall of Fame. So it's, uh, there was the sixth and seventh and eighth and ninth best player on the team going in. I, I, Kevin Lowe had a, a great NHL career, a great NHL career, and deserves uh, absolute uh, thought as being part of the Hockey Hall of Fame. And uh, for what his accomplishments were, I mean, what did he have? Six Stanley Cups when he played, Reed? Is that what it is for him? Yeah, because he got them on with the Rangers, too. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he he was, I mean, his talent was very, very good, but it's his leadership, what everyone talks about. From anyone that I've talked to that ever played with Kevin Lowe, they talked about the leadership that he had was second to none. So, uh, if Kevin Lowe was to be nominated and put into the Hockey Hall of Fame, I'd be the first to say good job. He's one of those players that is really interesting to debate. And I got to thank Dave for sending in that text. And Dave, regardless of, of what you think, I, I hope you agree with Rob and I that just as sports fans, this is an interesting one to talk about. And look at Eric Lindros. There were some people voting for the Hockey Hall of Fame that didn't vote for him to get in because, well, he was dominant, but he wasn't dominant for long enough, right? Like, there's all there's all these those guys where it's like, well, okay, and, you know, you can talk about Lowe. I was reading an article today about uh, someone's advocating for Theo Fleury to be, uh, to be put in. So there are those guys, I mean, some guy. okay, Mario, Gretzky, Messier, Lafleur, or uh, there's incredibly obvious selections along the way. But then there are those other guys where, well, he, he was great, but I can find something maybe that detracts from it. And those are the really interesting debates, I think, to sit around and have with your with your sports fans, buddies. Well, I agree, and, and it's fun to debate them because everyone 
uh, everyone sees someone a little bit different than the guy sitting beside them. But uh, just a merit consideration is quite the accomplishment. Certainly, Kevin Lowe deserves that. When you start talking about Hall of Fame, one thing that I don't understand is when you flip over to another sport, baseball. I don't understand how a guy can get in a case. Not we're not voting him on his first year, but I'll vote for him for on his fifth year. Wouldn't it be if, if he was good enough to get in the Hall of Fame? Why wouldn't you vote him in the first year? Well, he only got forty-eight percent the first year. The next time he got sixty-three. Then he got seventy-two. Like I don't understand that one. Like he's either good enough or he's not. I don't think his career's been over for ten years. He's not improving anything. In the 10 years after his career, it's done. So how does he get better and get more votes as it goes on? I've never understood that. Yeah, baseball's weird with its Hall of Fame because you're raising the point that it's almost like they feel they have to make players wait if they... It's almost like some voters think nobody should get in on their first try. I just quickly went to baseball reference. Mariana Rivera was the first unanimous selection. Ken Griffey Jr. got... 99.32% 99.32% of the votes the first year he was eligible. Like, who are the three guys that thought Ken Griffey Jr. should wait a year or two to get into the Hall of Fame? I mean, it's, well, it's kind of absurd. Well, then, well go, go down a little bit further, and you're going to find guys that are automatic Hall of Famers that didn't get in on their first or, or their second. Like, I don't understand that. He, he's good enough to be in the Hall of Fame or he's not. I, I don't see how you can say, you know, I'm not going to vote for him this year. I'm going to wait till next year. Like, <laughs> that makes no sense to me. If he was good enough, he was good enough. His career, he didn't get another 100 strikeouts in the, in the year that he was sitting out. He didn't get another 50 home runs. <laughs> As a retired player. Yeah, so like why are, why are we waiting? So that, to me, it's just a, a, an arrogance or an ego thing from the, the, the baseball writers. Like, you know what? I didn't like something about him, so I'm going to hold off for two years and make him wait before he gets that call. So I just find that weird. Derek Jeter, 396 out of 397 votes. One guy. <laughs> I know, and they never uh, announce who it is either, too. No, they know. they use some some writers will make their ballots public, right? But they they yeah. don't they don't have to. Hank Aaron was just under 98. percent I'm going to spend all night now looking at this. Know, even ba- even Babe Ruth was 95. percent Not yeah, 11 right. 11 guys didn't vote for him. Well, that would be like so. Wayne Gretzky retires, and then. He's up for the Hall of Fame. You know what? I, I'm i not sure. I mean, in all honesty, Wayne Gretzky and Mary Lemieux, they only, there's only one ball player that's ever gone in on the first thing with unanimous. So that means either Mario or Wayne in in hockey, one of them wouldn't get in on their first ballot. I'm like, okay, or Goldie Howe or Bobby Orr. You know what? You're, he had a pretty good year or a pretty good career. But we're going to wait. Year three, I think, is when we're going to let him in. It just makes it – I don't understand that at all. And I, I'd love for someone – in baseball to sit and tell me why uh, someone as great as Ken Griffey, seven players or three people said he's not good enough. When everyone knows he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, hockey. We got yeah. some players skating. We have training camp probably July 10th. We both know that things can still change. Um, look, there, I've said this several times. Like I've talked to players who, and and not, and I've talked to players who aren't Oilers. It's not just Oilers I've talked to, who they'll play, but they're kind of like, I'm not sure, uh, I'm not sure. So that that is definitely still out there. The 11 tests last week, the Leafs haven't confirmed it, but obviously it's been widely reported that Austin Matthews was one of the players. It's just such an interesting landscape, Rob, and it's 
it's not unanimous amongst the players that they're gung-ho to get back to playing. No, and I, I, you and I talked about this two months ago, that the players wouldn't all be unanimous for a lot of reasons. They're going to have to be put in quarantine. I heard someone the other day was 73 days as they're talking something along that line. Uh, what if, I mean, they've got to come up with a way where they get to see their families. Players are not going to leave their families for that long. It ju- they just aren't. Guys are going to have, be having babies. They've got young children. Uh, there's going to be uh, births, deaths that are going to happen over that time with, amongst family members that they have to leave for. Uh, so that's just for the quarantine part of it. And then you look at the safety. Um, I think once the players get into their bubble, they should be in a very, very safe place. I mean, I, w- I would imagine that the, the NHL is going to do, I mean, they're going to go above and beyond to make sure their players are safe because when, if something goes wrong, well, now all of a sudden you've got to shut the league down and it ain't restarting. But the, you start looking about where you're going to host it. And at first, you know, we, t- we heard that Calgary, Vancouver, Edmonton were talking about having training camps in the States. I, 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 I'm, I watch the news. I, I watch what's going on with COVID in the States. I certainly wouldn't want to be going down to the States anytime soon. Uh, There's a government down there that doesn't believe there's a pandemic. There's states that open way too soon, and it's getting scary down there. So you got to look at that as a a thing that, do I want my star players going down there uh, and before they're in their hub city bubbles and training? Um, Baseball training camps are shutting down. Tampa Bay shut down. They're just, they're, they had six people skating. They're six players skating. They shut that down. Imagine when you get 30 players. Uh, it, it is not as easy as saying, all right, we're going to do this because we've got the dates and the government's allowing us. It's not that easy. And uh, numbers are starting to go up in Edmonton. Numbers are going up in Alberta, which would look good two weeks ago, isn't as, as rosy as it, as it was. So it, it is still scary. It's, there's a pandemic out there, and uh, the players, they've got... As much as their hockey players are also people, and they got families that they care about. They've got families that maybe have people that are uh, in a higher risk that if they catch it, they could get sick, and they want to be able to be able to be with those people if it happens. So, I, I I still think it's it's up in the air. I'm tending to I don't know if I'm hoping or if I'm placing a small bet that it will start just because they will do everything possible to get it going. But I still don't think this is 100 percent that they're going to have hockey season this year rob we'll keep in touch great to have you on the show buddy sounds good Reed. take care that is rob brown back after the break all right great to catch up with rob brown we talked about glasses we talked about eyesight we talked about the hall of fame and rob gave his thoughts on the potential return of the nhl season all right we're gonna have a really cool story it's not all a positive story, but it is really interesting and very compelling. A.J. Jakubik, Edmonton native, now on the radio in Ottawa, an incredible recovery from a huge health scare. A.J. will take you through it next half hour of Inside Sports. Thanks for listening tonight. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party 
or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. goodness. Well, I am wearing a loincloth. It's Tarzan Boy. What, who requested this, Kellen? This is from Colton. What artist is this again? Baltimore. Oh, wow. I wouldn't have remembered that. This is a deep cut. Well, I think, but did they have any other hits? Nope. <laughs> I'm sure there's some Baltimore fan out there. In the 14 listeners to this show, there has to be some hardcore Baltimore fan that can name other songs by this artist other than Tarzan Boy. But that's certainly their most memorable. By request on the text line, 780-496-0063, a song you would like to hear coming back from break, preferably with a nice hard rock guitar intro or Tarzan noises, I guess, will also fit the bill. I mean, why not? We're, you know, we, we, we're, I'm not doing a scoreboard coming back from break. <laughs> so we might as well just have unexpected songs. Sure. Nothing wrong with that. No swearing, by the way, either. Right. No profanity no early profanity. in the song because we usually play about the first 30 seconds. So don't, mm. don't have any naughty language in there. You try to trip us up. Well, Kellen checks it ahead of time anyway if he doesn't already know it. But I know you knew Tarzan Boy, didn't you? Oh, that's on my iPod, man. That's one of my guilty pleasure tracks. That's probably your alarm. That's probably <laughs> what you wake up to. Oh, I'm waking up to Tarzan, boy. How refreshing. All right. Thank you very much for listening tonight. I'm very pleased to have this next guest on the show. First of all, because he's always a really good guest and an interesting and entertaining guy to talk to. And second of all, to be quite honest with you, there were times I started to wonder if I might ever be able to speak to this gentleman again because he went through a very scary ordeal with his health, but now he's back on the radio in Ottawa. Of course, he grew up right here in Edmonton, worked in the Edmonton media. It is my good buddy, A.J. Jakubik, on the line. A.J., thanks for making time for me, man. How are you doing? Always have time for you. Yeah, no, great to be with you and uh, look forward to... Uh probably arguing with you on something tonight <laughs> well i don't know if we're going to do that tonight because I, I want you to be in the spotlight here and and, for, and thanks for doing this i know you've been doing a lot of this over the last few days as i often say we get into the media and into broadcasting because we like telling stories we don't like being the story but you're in a situation that you you can't deny you you have become a story and so I do appreciate that you've been willing to to share it with you know people in Ottawa and across the country over the last few days. Take us back to the start of December, if you can, AJ. How did this all begin? Yeah, I mean, basically, uh, December 1st, I worked uh, an Ottawa 67th game, and this was right after Grey Cup. And, you know, wasn't feeling great. And, and uh, the, the next day, woke up and still wasn't feeling very good and called called in sick to work. And within a couple of hours, things escalated in a hurry and uh, next thing you know I was uh, vomiting and and you know felt the worst pain imaginable in my stomach and 
you know, immediately called 911. That was not even a 99.9% uh, decision on my part. It was 100%. I knew I was calling 911. And so off to the hospital with my first ever ambulance ride. And, uh, you know, the next four or five days were a blur. I, I ended up getting uh, what's called acute pancreatitis. And um, I had gallstones that uh, were walking my pancreas and, and, and bile duct area. And so, yeah, not, not a good scene. I was in ICU for eight days um, as, as they uh, cleared that up and intubated and, and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, when I woke, I, I, I don't know when I woke up, but it, just in terms of like the first thing that I remember from hospital um, after the first day was, was basically wondering if I was paralyzed. So, um, you know, fortunately that wasn't the case. And, you know, eight days in ICU and then, you know, uh, what I I thought was going to be, uh, you know, a month plus in hospital and then, you know, get released from hospital and had the first of five different endoscopy procedures. And, and, you know, those aren't a lot of fun. And after that, uh, you know, after my first one, uh, about a week later, I uh, wasn't feeling great, uh, had a fever, decided, okay, well, if this is still here in the morning, I better get back in the hospital and just see what's what's going on. And sure enough, it was still there and back in hospital. And you kind of think, okay, well, maybe I'm going to be here uh, for a day or a couple of days or maybe a week. And I was there for another month. So that, that was 66 Jeez. days total. So, um, but you know what, just uh, kept on battling away and, you know, got released from from hospital on february 27th which you know was a real blessing because you know covid kind of hit a couple of weeks later and can't imagine being in hospital without the support that i had you know from my parents who flew from edmonton three different times and were with me for about you know the majority of the first three months and my sister who flew out from calgary and you know all the all the people visiting me in hospital about 80 plus and, and so um, you know, you can't imagine what, what the people since that time who have been in hospital have been going through with, you know, just the, that support system that, you know, has been there probably in different ways, right? Like we've all kind of gone through Zoom chats and that sort of thing. But, you know, to to wake up and know that my parents were going to be there later that morning was always huge for me and know that, you know, I wasn't going to have to have hospital food every day as, you know, my appetite got better and, that sort of thing is, you know, they bring me stuff and, um, yeah, just, uh, just, and I know they said that, you know, just when visitors would come to see me that, that my spirits would, would definitely raise. So, um, yeah, fortunate, uh, that, you know, since that time, it's just kind of been not, you know, there's, there's, there's setbacks here and there, but, you know, for the most part, you know, if you look at it week by week and not day by day, um, you know, pretty steady progress to the point where, you know, I, I got uh, got cleared to go back to work last week and, um, you know, two days non-consecutive. So I worked Wednesday, Friday, and now I'm I'm back, you know, every day. So I uh, went, on, went on a little day trip on the weekend, uh, you know, through Algonquin Park and to Muskoka for the first time I'd never been and figured I'd just do a day trip. And that was an 11-hour day, which... Uh, basically uh, included driving, a hike, a beer on a patio. I'm allowed to have kind of one beer max a day. 
and uh, and a big Polish dinner at the, the first Polish <laughs> community in, in, in Canada, Wilno, Ontario. So um, to, to get through an 11-hour day like that uh, with, with driving and everything that it entailed, no, you know, I, I know I've, I've just come so far. So, and, AJ, let, uh, me, let, let me ask you this. You, you had pancreatitis, and I've yeah. known a couple people who had that, including my dad, and it yeah. was extreme pain. But they got their pancreas out and were back at it. How come? What happened to you that this you, you kept on being sick? Yeah, well, there's various degrees to it, right? I've heard from a number of different people that have had, you know, different different levels of, of pancreatitis, where you know it's a couple of days in hospital and that's it. Or, um, but you know, like I, I heard from someone today, just someone that I don't know out of the blue that messaged and thanked me for telling my story and you know she basically said that you know she was uh she had you know major issues and and couldn't walk without a walker for for weeks and and that sort of thing and um you know i know there was there was there's always the one thing when you're in hospital you always appreciate the fact that there's there's probably someone in there that's that's dealing with something worse than you and and it's it's a pretty sobering experience and and you know i know some you know i i never met him but my parents told me that you know they talked to uh his parents there is someone in there from from pembroke that um had been in there for six months so um and, and was just starting to, to to walk without a walker and, and this was while you know i i had kind of made some pretty good progress after you know maybe a month and a half or two months so um, yeah, it hits, it hits everybody. I mean, I'd never, I didn't know a thing about pancreatitis, to be honest, before December the 2nd. And, and, you know, I had some issues stomach-wise over the previous year where, you know, I went to hospital once and I, they thought I maybe needed my appendix out. And, and sure enough, the CT scan didn't show anything. And then, you know, more problems where I went to my family doctor and tests didn't show anything. So... You know, I believe that to be gallstones over the course of that previous year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I've got, you know, some further things that, that need to be done. Uh, you know, a couple of tests and I still have some stents in and, and you know, internal drain. You know, hopefully they're out in a couple of months. And if all is well, then, you know, I get my gallbladder out and we won't have to worry about gallstones again. So, uh, yeah, I mean... I, I like I said, feel blessed. To, you know, second chance and all that kind of stuff, and and just the fact that uh, you know I'm able to go back to work and actually go into work as well. Um, not deemed to be immunocompromised. I can go and get my own groceries and and, and that sort of thing. Um, and, and cleared to travel within Canada. Cleared to travel beyond that once my gallbladder's out. But let's be honest, right. there's no going beyond that. <laughs> for anybody right now because of covid so so um, yeah it's, wait, it's, it's all good were you and look i, I know this is this is a tough question I, I think you know though how i mean it were you ever worried okay this is it like this is i i'm gonna pass away in the hospital Did, was it ever that serious for you ne- never thought i i don't know how close I never really asked the doctors, hey, like, how close to dying was I or anything like that. I mean, you'd get a couple of indications that, um, you know, that, that you know, I was in bad shape for sure. And you're in ICU for eight days, and, what you know, what I didn't know was there's kind of two different versions of ICU. Within the ICU, there's the, 
the bad ICU and, and the, the real bad ICU. And I was in the real bad part for, you know, four or five days. And then, you know, was able to kind of at least transfer out of there for a few days. And then uh, up to the seventh floor, I went for the rest of it. So um, I, I never felt that way. I'm, I know in talking to friends and family and whatever, I mean, I, I think there is a sense that there is some concern for sure. But from my perspective, you know, once I woke up, I just, it was just about fighting and, and, and getting better and, and just taking every day, you know, the old sports cliche, right? One day at a time, just basically take, you know, take what's in front of you and, and, and basically, uh, you know, just try and get better every day. So I, I, I never felt that way. I've never kind of looked at it from that standpoint. And, and again, maybe I'm fortunate to be here and, and, you know, I'm certainly going to make the most of it and, and, uh, you know, you get a second chance like that, and you you better make the most of it, right? So, um, yeah, just uh, I, I'll, I'll say this: like, I wouldn't change a thing. Do, would would I want to go through something like that again? Absolutely not. But you know, there's there's always a little bit of a silver lining behind things, and you know, like I I've got a tremendous, I can't say enough about, you know, just my appreciation, which was always there before, but not to the same degree. And, I, you know, I think if there's a silver lining to COVID and COVID's, you know, been so bad on so many different levels, you know, people losing jobs, pe- you know, businesses shutting down, people dying, um, you know, frontline workers being, you know, inundated with, you know, just, a, you know, a very difficult task. Right. But, you know, I guess if there's one silver lining to that, you know, it's that mm-hmm. those frontline hospital workers, doctors, nurses, staff i mean they get the the recognition that they deserve truly deserve now and i i truly appreciate it after my time in hospital 66 days in there and and just you know there's two types of people that 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 are working you know as a support staff member or nurse or doctor or whatever there's there's the ones that are really good at their jobs and, and 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 are awesome and then there's the ones that are all that and you know, go above and beyond the people they, that that would come into your room when they're you're not even a patient of theirs, and they just come in to say hi, to check in, to see how you're doing, to to ask you to go for a walk. You know, when when it's not you know, where they've got other patients, and 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 so like I have such a great respect for for the job that they do, and so I mean, there's there's that, there's you know, there's there's just the support I receive from everybody, which you know is is so wonderful on so many levels so yeah i mean what would i want to go through it again reed absolutely not but um i i wouldn't change a thing and you know i made it through it this far and you know still some some you know i've got to watch myself you know less sugar less fat all that kind of stuff going forward but uh you know for for the most part i i can live a, a healthy life going forward and so i'm i'm just so thankful for that AJ, and we're going to have to have you on again, obviously, because we, we like having you on. But just in the final uh, couple of minutes here, what did you miss most about work? And I ask that because I can't imagine missing work for that long. And I and I know the things that I love about my job are things that I like more than others. But if you said, what would you miss most about doing your job? I, I'd still only be speculating, right? You actually did miss your job for an extended period of time. What did you miss most? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I love what I do. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, though. I, I and and look, I, I'm thrilled to be back. Again, COVID, like, in, in one way, it kind of helped because everyone was going through the same thing that I was. Like, you know, I got out of hospital February 27th. My parents uh, on that third visit were were there until March 9th and I think March 12th or 13th the, the crap hit the fan right and then and then everybody was in the same boat as me right at home you know just and, and whether they were working or not um, so I didn't have that quote unquote FOMO fear of missing out um, and, and and what really would have been difficult for me and I I hate that this happened to them and, and uh, the Ottawa 67 best best junior season I've, I've witnessed in person. They won 50 games. They didn't even finish the season. I can't remember if they played 61 or 63 or whatever they, they played. They won 50 games. And so all I could think of, you know, throughout the year, right? And, and this goes back to last year. You know, I, I spent a year in Kelowna. I did color for the Rockets. My first year involved in Major Junior back in 2001 and Kelowna's hosting the Memorial Cup and Who's the play-by-play guy? Well, the play-by-play guy when I was there is Regan Bartell, who I worked with. Who's the color man? It's Ken Simpson. He did color for me on the first three years of the Oil Kings, and then beyond that when I came to Ottawa. So all I could think of you know, for the longest time was, geez, i got to get better for potentially the Memorial Cup. There's no given that Ottawa was going to get through the OHL. I think they were getting to the, the final, but maybe 60-40 to beat a London if they got there. Um but, you know, you can imagine how difficult that would have been. You, you call junior games your whole life. Um, you know, I, I was fortunate to get to a Memorial Cup in 2005. But working with Dave Schreiber, I was a color, color man, and he was, he was a play-by-play guy. So now, all of a sudden, you know, imagine, you know, the Ottawa 67s get to the Memorial Cup in Kelowna, of all places, uh, which I have ties to, as I mentioned. And if I couldn't go, that, that would have been really difficult. So... Um, like I said, very, very fortunate to just uh, have everything play out the way it did. And, uh, yeah, were there things I missed? I mean, I, I'll be honest, just like you're me chatting away and I'm probably over over limit in terms of the time. I mean, I, I don't think I've talked as much in these last three days of radio. Like I did an hour <laughs> straight on Wednesday when I was telling my story and thanking people. And then Friday and today, like, <laughs> the boss always says, you know, it's, it's, and it's a very good thing to have when, you, when you're when you working with a co-host, 60 to 90 seconds tops and then, you know, back and forth, back and forth, but 60 to 90 seconds. And I was walking to, the, to, to, to get some water and wash some strawberries <laughs> today, and I'm thinking, man, I'm going like, I got to cut this down from six and a half minutes at a time to, to four and then two and then down to 60 because I'm just rambling like the, you know, play-by-play guy, I am wordy and, and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I definitely have six and a half months worth of opinions that I'm just <laughs> getting out from Hall of Fame to, you know, everything that, that, that's going on. And hopefully they get it right this time. There's enough players. There's about 28 guys on my list, Reed, that are more deserving than, than poor Guy Carboneau, uh from last year. So hopefully they don't screw that up again this year. But anyways... I'll leave it at that. Uh, yeah, it's just, like I said, just great to be back and doing what I love and uh, uh, fortunate again, like I said, to have that second chance. AJ, 
It's awesome that you're feeling well. It is awesome to have you on the show again. Of course, we will catch up down the road. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Have a great show tomorrow. Thanks, Reed. Always appreciate it. Cheers. That is A.J. Jakubik telling his incredible story. Huge battle. Six months away from work. A lot of time in the hospital. He told you how it all happened, and he's feeling good. Awesome guest. That is A.J. Jakubik. This is Inside Sports. All right, well, that was an awesome conversation with A.J. Jakubik. You also heard from Rob Brown tonight, Chris Johnson from Sportsnet, and Ian Herbers, the head coach of the U of A Golden Bears hockey team, who will not be playing this upcoming season. We'll get more on Canada West and how it's been affected by COVID, some budget cuts, and the U of A pulling out for the year. We'll discuss that on the show tomorrow. We'll also schedule to be joined by Chicago Blackhawks forward, former Edmonton Oiler, Drake Kajula. Big thanks to Dave Campbell, the producer of the show. Kellen Kennedy is your studio producer. And a big thanks to you for listening back tomorrow night. It is 6 to 8 inside sports on 630 Chet. Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.